0: Yes, you're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. This is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. 28 verses 9 and 10 says whom shall he teach knowledge and whom shall he make to understand doctrine and then he answers them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts for precept must be upon precept precept upon precept line upon line here a little and there a little If you're serious about your walk with God, and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible, tell a friend, tell your pastor about this study, and let's get into God's Word, line upon line. study and last week we got part way through Isaiah chapter 45 we made it up to verse 19 we'll finish God willing we'll finish the chapter this evening and then go on to chapter 46 let's open with a word of prayer Oh, Heavenly Father we pause and we just want to give you thanks Lord we want to give you praise we are so grateful that you have given us this ancient scroll of the prophet Isaiah a mini bible Uh, we just thank you father for our opportunity to study this scroll line by line and we pray that you'll bless this study as you've blessed the previous studies father that you would deepen our understanding that you would deepen our faith and our and our love for jesus christ and for each other and for your plan for mankind we praise you lord we thank you we ask this blessing now in jesus most holy name amen well as i said we are up to isaiah chapter 45 and uh, this is all in the context of isaiah chapter 44 where we're focusing here on god's intervention in the life of judah uh through the anointed one uh cyrus and 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 we want to just stay focused on this opening verse in chapter 44 where god says yet now hear o jacob my servant. So Jacob is God's servant. He says, Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, uh, he says, he continues, and Israel whom I have chosen. So this is all about God's chosen, that Jacob is the one that he has chosen to serve him. He is is of all the nations in the world, God only knows the nation of the people who are descended from the man called Israel. He's the one that God has chosen. There's a covenant relationship that God has with this people. This says, Israel whom I have chosen, he says, thus says the Lord that made you and formed you from the womb, which will help you. This is what the, the God who formed you from the womb and he will help you. This is what he has to say to you, fear not. So obviously, uh, this is a fearful time, and the God of the universe, his message to his people, which his faithful ministers will magnify and amplify, his message to his people is, do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant. The God of the universe has chosen Jacob, and you, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. So let's now go back into, just keep that in mind, that God has chosen this people from the womb, and they should not fear, despite the fearful circumstances they live in. So let's continue now in Isaiah 45, and in verse 19, he says, have not, I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I said not unto the seed of Jacob, Seek you me in vain. So God is saying, I did not, and listen, He didn't say to the seed of Jacob, this, this is a DNA thing. So anybody who has the DNA of this man called Jacob has been told to seek God, that these are the chosen people. And God, the God of the universe is saying, I didn't say to the seed of Jacob to seek me in vain. In vain. He says, I the Lord speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. So we might, have, uh, we might take exception to this. We might think, this is, God is so unfair. This is just not right. Who says that these people are chosen? God says he speaks righteousness. And he declares the things that are right. And so the world is not right. And the world is not in a state of righteousness until it is in the state that God declares that it should be in. And that state was declared in Exodus 19 and verse 6, where God says that this nation will be a peculiar people unto him, and that all other nations of the earth will have to look to this, these people as the facilitators of the relationship that God will have with mankind. These are the things that God has declared, and they are right. Verse 20, and we went into that verse last week, but let's continue now in verse 20. He says, assemble yourselves and come, draw near together, you that are escaped of the nations. So there is going to be this uh, massive exodus, this second exodus, where God is going to move to gather his people from the four corners of the earth. And they are going to escape the captivity, the the subjection, the humiliation, the, the torture of the Gentile nations. And God is going to move and gather them from these nations. So he says, come, assemble yourselves and come. I've chosen you. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you that are escaped to the nations. Now, speaking of the nations, he says this, that they have no knowledge that set up the wood of their graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. So there's going to be this worldwide movement now this is, you know, this is happening in Isaiah's time, he's predicting the near term, but he's also looking at the time just before Christ returns. And, and, and it's a pattern that's laid down, that there are going to be people, Gentile peoples, that are going to exalt their graven images as their God. And they're gonna bow down to these graven images, but they're going, to be, they're going to have the upper hand. They're going to be a people that have the upper hand. And, and having that upper hand, they're going to be inspired or, or uh, motivated to subject the seed of Jacob to humiliation and to subject Judah to torture and annihilation. And God is going to act to undo this. So that's, that's the reality of what the Bible is teaching us. This, this is the future for these people. You go, you go, the scripture goes on to say, He says that, uh, so here I just say this, this Iranian senior official is saying destroying Israel is the Muslim world's top priority. And yet God's top priority is saving Israel. So there's a problem. There's a problem. God's agenda is to save Israel. This senior official says that the agenda, the top priority of the Muslim world is to destroy Israel. So we we definitely uh, we definitely have a problem here. He goes on to say, "Tell you, and bring them near. Yes, let them take counsel together." So so th- this this is their belief that they have to destroy Israel. Okay, God is challenging them and saying, "Okay, let them take counsel together. If it, all these Muslim nations want to destroy Israel, go ahead, let them plan together." But God says who has declared this from ancient time so there's something that God said that this would happen from ancient time so let's uh let's take a listen to this Uh, Go ahead, let them take counsel together. But then God says this, Who has declared this from ancient time? So the very thing that they are doing, God is saying to his people, I actually declared this. I said that this would happen. So so them bowing down to their graven image and taking counsel together to destroy his people, God is saying, It's actually what I declared from the beginning. I, I said that this would happen. He says, Who told it from that time? have not i the lord and there is no god else beside me a just god and a savior so the god of the universe is saying <laughs> they're going to pla- they're going to come together to destroy my people but i actually declared this anciently so the very the, the, the very fact that they're worshiping a false god and they're coming together to destroy my people is proof that i am the true god because anciently i said that this would happen and there is no god beside me and and i am a just god i declare the things that are right i speak in righteousness and i am a savior jesus god saves i'm a savior so so the the what god is saying is the mindset the modus operandi of the god of the universe is to save not to destroy satan's modus operandi is to destroy the god of the universe his modus operandi is to come and save. So he's saying there's no other God besides me, I'm a savior. And I declared this from the beginning. There is none beside me. And so this verse here in Isaiah 4521, and God repeats it several times, I'm going to just I'll show you several times in the very book of Isaiah, how he repeats this. But this is really, really critical. Uh, here in Psalm 138 and verse 2, God says Uh, the psalmist David writes I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and for your truth for you have magnified your word above all your name you know I had uh, somebody speaking to me yesterday uh, a professed Christian saying to me that you cannot trust the Bible that the Bible has been tampered with this is crazy what we have is the Bible. And God is telling us through Isaiah, what you have is my word. And herein, and, and, and God prides himself, and if I can put it this way, that he, 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 he wants us to understand that we can trust him because he speaks in righteousness. That what he says he means. And he never speaks a lie, and he never speaks something that's untrue, and he does not change his mind. In, in that sense, that when he declares that this is going to happen and, and lays it down, that's what's going to happen. And David realized this about God. And he says, I'm going to worship you and I'm going to praise your name but uh, because of your loving kindness and because of your truth. And he says, you have magnified your word above all your name. David understood how much God's word means to him. And we as Christians must understand this. And the, the tactic of the devil is to take God's word away from us. If he can get us away from God's word, he's got us. But as long as we cling to God's word, he cannot touch us. When when Satan attacked Christ, Christ defeated him with God's word. Now, the book of Isaiah is so critical to us because it's a mini Bible. But it's not just because it's a mini Bible that it is critical to us. I wanna show you uh, something else that is why the book of Isaiah is so critical in, 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 in defending against the wiles of the devil. Look, look at this. This is from uh, Wikipedia. The Isaiah scroll designated 1QLSA and also known as the Great Isaiah scroll is one of the seven Dead Sea Scrolls that were first recovered by Bedouin shepherds in 1947 from the Qumran cave. One, the scroll is written in Hebrew, and listen to this, and contains the entire book of Isaiah from beginning to end, apart from a few small damaged portions. It is the oldest complete copy of the book of Isaiah, beginning approximately one, being approximately 1,000 years older, it's it's 1,000 years older than the oldest Hebrew manuscripts known before the scroll's discovery. It It is, notice this, it is also notable in being the only scroll from the Qumran caves to be preserved almost in its entirety. Did you catch that? Isaiah is this mini it's a Bible within the Bible. And the manuscript that we had, when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, it came a thousand years after the version that was discovered in the Qumran cave. And that version of Isaiah was the entire book. There were just a couple of sections that were damaged. It was the entire book of, of, it was the entire scroll And it was preserved in its entirety. And so what does that mean to us? It means that we can withstand the wiles of the devil. Because we can take Isaiah to say, look, we had a a manuscript of Isaiah. And then the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. One of the seven scrolls that was discovered was the book of Isaiah. In its entirety. And it was a thousand years before the version, that the manuscript that we had, written in Hebrew. We had the manuscript in Hebrew. And when we compared, it was the same thing. So it proves that the book of Isaiah, the word has been successfully preserved. So we have Isaiah. So now we can go to any, from Genesis to Revelation. We can go anywhere in the Bible. And as long as it reconciles with what we read in Isaiah, we know that it, it, it's true. And in fact, when Jesus Christ was on the earth, he quoted extensively from Isaiah, He didn't come to earth and say, what have you done? The, the book of Isaiah, the, the, oh, it's corrupted. No, he just quoted from Isaiah. And, and he, he, he quoted extensively from three books, Isaiah, Psalms, and Deuteronomy. Those were the three books that he quoted from extensively. And, and we have the book of Isaiah, we have it. And it's, it's preserved in its entirety. And look what David says about God's word that he has magnified his word, even above his own name. God is God because of his character. And his character is magnified and amplified and expressed in his word. So he is telling us now in Isaiah here in verse 21, he says, yeah, you know what, bring, bring them near. All these pagans, all these Gentile leaders and nations that want to persecute and destroy, bring, bring, them, bring them here and let them take counsel together. Let, let them, let them um, collude with each other to see how they're gonna answer. Here's the question. Who has declared this from ancient time? That, 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 that the nations would collude together. In fact, I'm thinking of um, uh, Psalm, Psalm 2, where it says, why did the heathen rage? Why, why do they rage? And imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the lord and against his anointed so so <laughs> he says the lord will laugh at them so so this is something that is written anciently god declared it all from we read in deuteronomy 30 moses declared it and all the prophets have declared it who has declared this from ancient time who has told it from that time haven't i the lord and there is no god beside me A just God and a Savior, there is none beside me. So God is using His his ability to declare the future as proof that He is the true God. And a lot of people think, oh, prophecy, we don't need prophecy, too much prophecy. God is saying, you need prophecy. In order to know that I'm the true God, you need prophecy. And in order to withstand the claims of the nations, the false claims of the nation, you need prophecy. And my word... I exalt it higher than my own name. That's what God says. So let's continue in Isaiah to see this theme. And we read this when we were in chapter 41, where God writes, keep silence before me, O islands. Speaking to the nations here. And let the people renew their strength. Let my people renew their strength. Keep silent and let my people renew their strength. Let them come near, then let them speak. Let us come near together to judgment. Who raised up the righteous man from the east? So this again, from from chapter 41, God was speaking of Cyrus. And he's saying, who raised up the righteous? And and it says man is in italics, you can see. But it's the righteous. It's God's righteous judgment. It's God's righteous act. God is setting. He speaks in righteousness. And so this is an act that's done in righteousness to make the world right, to restore Judah to Jerusalem. Who raised up the righteous from the east? Called him to his foot gave the nations before him and made him rule over kings. He gave them as the dust to his sword and as driven stubble to his bow. He pursued them and passed safely, this is Cyrus, even by the way that he had not gone with his feet. So it's a new path that he was able to take. Nobody could withstand him. Who has wrought and done it? God is saying, who, who, who enabled this? Calling the generations from the beginning. Again, this is God, God says, this is how you know that I'm God. That I called the generation, I I called it. I said that this was going to happen. And so Isaiah was able to say, when when uh, Assyria was the superpower, he was able to say to Judah, Judah's panicking over um, uh, Assyria, this great superpower. And Isaiah was able to say, don't worry about Assyria. Your problem is going to be Babylon. Babylon will will crush Assyria. uh, And then Babylon is the problem for you. But don't worry about that because God is going to raise up Persia and Persia will crush Babylon. So God is able to call the generations from the beginning. He said, I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am he. Let them bring forth and show us what shall happen. This is, you, this, this is the whole point of prophecy. This, God says he uses prophecy to prove that he is God. Let them bring forth and show us what shall happen. Come on, let, let, let us see what's going to happen. And, and, and when he says this, it's in the context that his people don't have to do anything. They just need to wait and watch and see the salvation of the Lord. It, 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 so so he, he declares what's going to happen and then he does it. He makes it come to pass. So let them bring forth and show us what shall happen. Let them show the former things. So bring out your former prophecies. Go, let's go back a thousand years. Let's go back 5,000 years and see what did the prophecy say and see how it's being unfolded today. Can you do that? Can your God do that? Let them show the former things, what they be, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them or declare us things to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter that we may know that you are God's. This is what God says, proves that he is God. And if they want to worship another God, if they want to bow down to a graven image, let them bring prophecy. Let them show us the things that are going to happen hereafter that we may know that they are gods and they have to do it, that their God needs to do it. Yes, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and behold it together. And then in chapter 43, a couple of weeks ago, we read, let all the nations be gathered together. These nations that are powerful, that are wealthy, that are mighty. God says, let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? This is what God uses as proof positive that he is God. Who else can do this? So gather all the nations with all their gods and let us see their scriptures of prophecy that their God is going to bring something to pass that was declared anciently. Who among them, instead of a God that's constantly changing his mind and abrogating what he said before because he doesn't, he, he doesn't know what he's doing, this God knows what he's doing. He says, who among them can declare this? and show us former things. Let them bring forth their witnesses that they may be justified. This is a time of judgment. And God is going to inquire and say, hmm, you worship this God, do you? Okay, show me your scriptures written anciently that declared what was gonna happen, that give you the legal right, the divine right, to do all the slaughter that you're doing. Because if you can't produce that, you're worshiping a false God and God is going to charge you with blasphemy, and He's going to act against you. Let them bring forth their witnesses that they may be justified, or let them hear and say, "It is truth." And then in chapter 44, this is the constant theme that Isaiah, that God through Isaiah, is drilling through us or to us. And who, as I, shall call and shall declare it? Who can and, and God is not boasting to say, "I am just so wonderful." That's not God's modus operandi. What God is doing is He's strengthening the faith of His people. This whole section of 2nd Isaiah begins with, Comfort you, comfort you, my people. This whole section here that we began in, in, in chapter 44 says, Jacob, you are my servant. Israel, I've chosen you. Don't be afraid. And what God is doing here is He's explaining why you don't have to be afraid. Because I'm the only God that can predict in advance, what's going to happen in the affairs of men. And then it happens exactly, without any deviation, it happens exactly as I say. So this is why God is saying this. He's not just saying it just because he's on an ego trip. He's saying, no, look, who, who is I shall call and shall declare it, and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people. So the ancient people here being Israel, he appointed them. And the things that are coming and shall come, let them show unto them. So these nations that are rising up to destroy not only Judah, but all the house of Israel, uh, the very fact of their rebellion and their, their rising is proof. The fact that these enemies are growing in power and are going to destroy God's chosen people. This is proof that the God of the chosen people is God. Because he's the one that said, this is exactly what I am. I am going to raise up these people to punish my people. And then I'm going to save my people and then punish those people for their uh, extreme violence. That they're just, they're just going to take advantage of this opportunity and go wild. And then I'm going to punish them to teach them that these are the people that I've chosen. And if you want to know me, you're going to know me through them. And that's what this book of Isaiah is showing us. And and we know the book of Isaiah is preserved. We had it. We had the Hebrew manuscript. And then a Bedouin discovered this scroll in these, these caves in Qumran. And that scroll that he discovered of Isaiah, fully intact, was a thousand years older. And it's the exact same scroll. And it's a mini Bible. And so this is just fantastic. This, this is the word of God. Isaiah says in chapter 44, do not fear. This, this is why he's, he's driving this point home around prophecy. So that his people will not fear, neither be afraid. Haven't I told you from that time and have declared it? And then even Christ, when he was on earth, he said, behold, I have told you beforehand. And he says, fear them not. Because I'm God. And proof that I'm God is my ability to tell you in advance what's going to happen. You are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yeah, there is no God. I know not any. And then here we are now in chapter, we're going to be in chapter 46 today, but let me just rush ahead a little bit. We'll see in verses 9 and 10, where God says, remember the former things of old, for I am God. So go back and read the ancient scriptures. Because I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. So what is it about God that makes him so unique? When he says, look, I'm God, there's nobody else like me, what is it that we have to say, like, okay, what are the attributes that God has that make him so unique? The Hindus have a God, or many gods. Muslims have a God. Buddhists say they have a God. Everybody has a God. So what is it about this God? And even the people who say they have no God, power is their God, money is their God, sex is their God, Id- idols are their God, everybody has a God. What is it about the God of Israel that there's no God like Him? We don't have to wonder, because He tells us. He says, He says here, I am God, and there is none like Me. And then He explains how is it that He's so unique, declaring the end from the beginning. That's why Jesus says, I'm Alpha and Omega. I'm the first and the last. I declared the end from the beginning and everything has happened exactly as I would say, as, exactly as I said. So this is what makes the God of Israel unique. He declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. So God has a counsel, God has a plan. And he's saying that his counsel shall stand and he will do all his pleasure. So we'll come back to that when we get into Isaiah 46. In Isaiah 48, he says, I have declared the former things from the beginning. Are you getting a sense that this is important to God? How much he repeats this? How much he exalts his own word above even his own name? I have declared the former things from the beginning. And they went forth out of my mouth, and I showed them. I didn't abrogate them, I showed them. So, so we have two different types of God. The God that says something, and then it's not quite working out the way that he said, so he abrogates it, cancels it, and comes up with something else. That kind of suits what's actually happening now. And he's, he's trying to figure it out as he goes, because he actually doesn't exist, it's imagination. Or you have the God that confidently says from the beginning, this is what's going to happen. And then it happens, exactly as he said. This is what he's saying. This is, this is who he is. I've declared the former things from the beginning, and they went forth out of my mouth, and I showed them. And I did them suddenly, and they came to pass. No abrogation. I've declared it, I showed it, I did them suddenly, and they came to pass. In chapter 55, So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, when, when I speak, whatever I've said, it's going it's to be performed. There's no way that this God will say something and then it's not performed. And, you know, this is why we have to get prophecy right. We, we have to be concerned about prophecy and we have to get it right so that we are actually declaring what God said. If we mix up prophecy and we start saying things that are wrong, then we are actually attacking the very root of God's argument that he is the God of Israel and Israel must not fear because he has this ability to declare declare from from the beginning the end. But if we mess up his declaration so that the things that he says don't actually come to pass, we're actually working against God and we're destroying the foundation of his argument that he is God and what he wants us to take to his people, to tell them not to fear, but rather to repent and turn to this God. So we need to get this right. We cannot be declaring false things. He says, So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. That which I please. So we need to know what is God's pleasure. What is it that he wants? And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it it's a very clear statement that God is making over and over again so let's go back now to chapter 45 and verse 21 he says here tell you and bring them near yes let them take counsel together who has declared this from ancient time who has told it from that time haven't I the Lord and there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Now go on to verse 22. Look, so he says all of that so that he can say this. Look unto me. Look unto me. This, this is the message that we must take to Judah and to the house of Israel. Look unto me. Don't, don't be making alliances. So here um, in Isaiah's time, uh, the kings were thinking of making alliances to fight against uh, the king of Assyria. And, and the message is, no, don't make any alliances. Look unto God. Look unto me and be you saved. All the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. Now I just want to highlight this ends of the earth. Because it's kind of, out of it doesn't make sense. The whole time he's talking to Jacob. The whole time he's talking to Israel. Isaiah says that this is really a message specifically to Israel and more specifically to Jerusalem, to Judah and Jerusalem. And so now, after declaring to Israel, the seed of Jacob, not to be afraid, don't be afraid. And the reason you don't need to be afraid is all of this that's happening around you with the nations, I actually prophesied it. I I told you anciently that it would happen. But also what I told you anciently is that I will come and save you. And that's why you you shouldn't be afraid. And so now in verse 22, for him to suddenly change the subject and say, look unto me and be you saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. It's like this doesn't make sense. Because the whole argument is, I am God and there is none else. Therefore, don't be afraid of the nations. But Israel, look unto me and I'm going to come and save Israel. Well, the only way this can make sense is that all the ends of the earth means Israel. That he's saying, look unto me and be you saved, Israel having been scattered and enslaved throughout all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. And that's exactly what he says in Mark 13, as well as Matthew 24 and I think it's Luke 21 in several places. But let's read it here in Mark 13. He says, and then... When he comes to act, when he comes to save, and then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect. That is Israel. We proved uh, from uh, Isaiah that his elect is the house of Jacob and shall gather together his elect from the four winds and from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. So he's saying here. So when he says here, look unto me, he's still speaking to the house of Jacob. So the whole argument is to the house of Jacob. Now he's saying to them, look unto me and be you saved. House of Jacob, in all the ends of the earth, I'm your God. So you're going to be punished. You're going to be scattered to all the ends of the earth. And then I'm going to come and I'm going to save you. And I'm going to, I'm going to send my angels. And they're going to gather you from the uttermost parts of the earth. He says, sw-, so, the, so the, the argument never shifts to God suddenly going to save all the Gentiles. The Gentiles have to acknowledge that God has chosen Israel. And that's what Isaiah is all about. Verse 23, I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness. So we just had that whole section that we just covered on how God magnifies his word, even above his own name. And so now that we understand just how important God's word is to him, he says, I have sworn by myself, the, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness I'm never gonna abrogate what I've said the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return It's it's gone I've said it that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear and and so God is saying I will be known as the God of Israel and the whole earth is gonna acknowledge that and every tongue will it will confess that God is in Israel And every knee is going to bow to this God, not their false gods. And of course, this is a famous passage that's quoted in Philippians, when God says he's exalted Christ and given him a name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, that is God saves, at the name of God saves, every knee should bow, and of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. This is also quoted in Romans. Paul quotes it in Romans, not just Philippians, because Isaiah was their Bible right they had the torah and they had the prophets and they had the writings but isaiah is like the most heavily quoted text cuz it's a mini bible so here uh, paul writes for it is written is written in isaiah as i live says the lord every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to god so again isaiah is quite every time i can get these opportunities to show how heavily quoted isaiah is well i'll show that that isaiah was their scripture in the uh, early church verse 24 surely shall one say in the Lord have I righteousness and strength even to him shall men come so again it's not a Gentile person that is saying in the Lord I have righteousness and strength and then suddenly everybody comes to him it is a Jew it is a, a somebody of the house of Judah or the house of Israel and then the rest of the Gentiles say we have heard that God is with you And we want to follow you and take us to Zion so that we may learn the ways of God. And that's what God established from the beginning, that this would be a peculiar nation. And the rest of the nations would have to look to this nation. He says, surely shall one say, in the Lord, so when he he moves to save these people, then they'll say, in the Lord, I have righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come, that is Gentiles will come to him. And we see that through the rest of Isaiah and other texts. And all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. So this is something that uh, God has written from, from ancient times, that there, there will be those who are incensed and that is they're, they're burning with fury over these people. And I think, I think we've seen that. I think we're very familiar with that incendiary uh, um, uh, narrative and, and uh, rhetoric that is that leveled against uh, the Jews And God is saying that these same people will be ashamed. These same people will be ashamed of what they've done and what they've said. And they're going to have to acknowledge that God is glorified in Israel. Verse 25. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. So again, you can see here from verse 25 that never in this passage... Did God ever deviate from his argument to say all of a sudden, all mankind is, everybody's just, he's the God of mankind. The God of Israel, he stopped being the God of mankind in Genesis chapter 12. Prior to Genesis 12, we could very clearly make the argument that God is the God of mankind. But then beginning in Genesis 12, he stops being the God of mankind. And he becomes the God of Abraham. And then specifically, he becomes the God of Abraham and Isaac. And then he becomes the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Christ says he's the God of the living, not the God of the dead. So these men are going to come back to life, and he's going to be their God forever. And he's the God of their seed forever. So if you are not in the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then God is not your God you have to repent you have to be grafted in to israel there's no other way because he is the god of abraham isaac and jacob forever forever and when the new jerusalem comes down it comes down with 12 gates check it out in revelation 21 it comes down with 12 gates three on each side and each of those gates are named after the tribes of israel So there's no way in, if you want to bring your offering, if you want to come and worship the God of of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you can't access God unless you come in through one of the tribes, because God is not the God of the world. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's so he says here, in the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified, and shall glory. So everybody that's angry with the seed of Israel will be ashamed, The seed of Israel will be justified and they will glory in the Lord. That's chapter 45 and then chapter 46 is a short chapter. So let's just continue with chapter 46. He says here, Baal bows down. Baal bows down, Nebo stoops. So these are two gods of uh, Babylon. So these are chief gods in Babylon. He says their idols were upon the beasts and upon the cattle your carriages were heavy laden and they are a burden to the weary beast so what is the same so in Babylon they have their chief gods they worship these chief gods they make these big idols and then to transport these idols to you know the place of worship or a special ceremony they're so big and heavy that they need these beasts, these cattle, to bring the idols from one place to another. And it's a it's because they're very heavy, it's a real burden to the beast, that this is real work to move this heavy, big idol from one place to another. He says, they stoop, they bow down together. So the burden of these idols is so heavy that the animals are stooping, they're bowing down together. They could not deliver the burden, but themselves, are gone into captivity. So Isaiah is kind of laughing at the idolaters here to say that they're making this big song and dance and big effort to move their God from one place to another. The God is so heavy that it's burdening the beasts, and yet these beasts that are doing all this work to try to move, transport the gods, uh, when these people are attacked, they have no ability. So you know when when Cyrus comes in or or whoever they're they're having to face here, they have no ability to withstand the the opponent. So if their god is so powerful and is such a burden, why isn't he able? Why isn't he powerful enough to protect them from captivity? So they're worshiping these gods, these gods that are so um, uh, heavy laden, and yet the god has no power. That's what Isaiah is saying here. Um, let's just go back to Judges because this is significant for us Uh, in Judges, Joash the father of uh, Gibeon he says, and Joash said unto all that stood against him so this is within Israel that he, he was against Baal but there were Israelites that stood against him and so he said this to all the Israelites that stood against him will you plead for Baal? Will you save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death while it is yet morning. If he, that is if Baal, be a god, let him plead for himself, because one has cast down his altar. So, So if we cast down the altars of Baal, why are you opposing us? If Baal is a god, let him plead for himself. Why are you pleading for him? Let him plead for himself. And i think the modern equivalent of that today is all of these christians who are pleading for allah and clearly we can see here that allah is the arabian moon god also known as baal so allah is the arabian version of baal Hubal and Molech. muslims will react with denial when you point out that this was the god of the muhammad of the tribe that muhammad was born into and children were sacrificed to this demon idol that is why the idol has its hands in the position with fire beneath it. And so clearly um, all of these nations are worshiping Baal, they call him different things, but it's the same worship. And we have uh, Christian churches today who are going to defend Baal. Well, this ancient worship, and and clearly we can see the symbolism that has carried down through the generations that leaves traces of where this this moon worship all comes from. So there were people who worshipped the sun and the moon, and some made the sun the dominant god, and the moon was the the, the cohort. In other cases, like in Arabia, where the sun is so punishing, they flip it, and they make the moon god the dominant god, and the sun is the cohort. But it's all the same uh, male-female perversion and uh, false worship. And again, we have Christians, Christians, who are going to stand up and defend Allah. And this is no this is no different this is this is no you know same song different verse we thought it was would, it would get better but it's going to get worse and so what we see here is this uh, worship of Baal and uh, the people of God defending Baal and so Joash said unto all that stood against him, will you plead for Baal? will you save him? He that will plead for him let him be put to death while it is yet morning." If he be a god let him plead for himself and in fact if he be a god he'll defend his anybody who's defending him from death because one cast down his own altar so let 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 baal take care of this and in fact isaiah said in chapter 41 same thing he says uh, for those who are turning to this idolatry of baal worship behold you are of nothing your work is nothing an abomination Is he that chooses you? An abomination is something that God abhors. So when somebody chooses Baal or chooses to defend Baal, God says through Isaiah, this is an abomination. Carrying on in chapter 46, verse 3, he says, Hearken unto me, O house of Jacob. He's saying, Look at these people with their gods and the effort that they go through to try to prop up their gods. Their God can't do anything, they have to do everything for their God. And, and God says, look, hearken unto me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, which are born by me from the belly. So this goes all the way back to chapter 44, where he says, I've chosen you from the womb. You're born by me. But but Isaiah here is doing something very interesting, that the false worshipers have to bear their God. They have to carry their God. But what Isaiah is saying here, of the true God, he carries Israel. He bears Israel. So all of this effort that they're going through to bear their God, and their God can't do anything, their God is not a savior. Here, God is saying, look, I carry you. Hearken unto me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnants of the house of Israel. Again, the argument is never out to the Gentiles. He stated, this is an exclusive argument to the house of Israel, which are born by me from the belly, which are carried from the womb. And even to your old age, I am he. God is saying, look, I'm the one Right from the womb to the tomb. I'm carrying you. I'm looking after you. I've chosen you. So hearken unto me. And even to your old age, I am he. Even to the hoary hairs will I carry you. You don't have to carry me. I'll carry you. I have made and I will bear. I'm going to bear you. Even I will carry and will deliver you. And here in Jeremiah 5, Jeremiah speaking again to uh, Judah, but also out to Israel, even though Israel was taken captive, he's speaking to Israel in future. He says, Hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding. Notice he repeats what Isaiah said, which Christ also quoted. Foolish people without understanding, which have eyes and see not, which have ears and hear not and and they were in that state isaiah says until they receive the punishment that they deserve and then god will act god says here through jeremiah fear you not me says the lord will you not tremble at my presence which have placed the sand for the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree that it cannot pass it so god is the one that that all that sand he's the one that decreed this and though the waves thereof tossed themselves yet can they not prevail. So the the sand is just persistent. And, and, And no matter how much the waves toss themselves, the sand is persistent. And God has said, I'm the one who does that. And you should listen to me. Though they roar, yet can they not pass over it. So as much as the waves act up, they can't shift the sand. But this people has a revolting and a rebellious heart. This is how God describes his people. They have the the people of God, and I think in this, um, the God of, uh, of the Quran, Allah, and the true God, Yahweh, agree that this is a people that have a revolting and a rebellious heart. The difference is, the God of the Quran says that these people must be destroyed, they must be completely exterminated, they must be wiped out. Yahweh says, I've chosen these people. I've chosen them from the womb and I will purge them of their iniquity, and I will restore them, and I will, I will save them, and I will restore them. And the whole world will come to know me through them. Big difference, very big difference. And, and the God of the Bible, Yahweh says, I declared this anciently, that I'm going to raise up a people that are going to hate my people, and are going to punish them because of their revolting and re- rebellious heart. So they're going to be empowered by an ideology that tells them to hate this people and instructs them to destroy this people. But they will not succeed, because I will act and save. But this people has a revolting and a rebellious heart. They are revolted and gone. Neither say they in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God. They just don't say this. That gives rain, both the former and the latter, in its season. He reserves unto us the appointed weeks of the harvest. So here, Malachi sees the same thing. In chapter 3, he says, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not destroyed. So God is saying, Look, because I've made this covenant, and I don't abrogate my covenants, I never break my word, I never break my promises. It's only because of that, because I've exalted my word above even my own name. And it's only because of that, that you sons of Jacob are not destroyed. You deserve to be destroyed. But because of my word and my promise to Abraham, you will not be destroyed. Because I don't, I don't change. When I, make a, when I make a commitment, I'm all in. That's what God is saying. Back to Isaiah 46. <clears throat> to whom will you liken me? He says, to whom will you make me equal? So, so who can we equate with God? God says, there's none like me. Nowhere. You can search the entire earth. Search everybody's God. You will not find a God like me, who declares the end from the beginning, and from ancient times that which is not yet, or that which shall be, saying, my counsel, my purposes shall stand. So God here in verse 5 says, to whom will you liken me? and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike. And remember, uh, Satan, his desire is to be like the most high. So he's going to deceive people into worshiping false gods that they believe are equal to Yahweh, are higher than Yahweh. And God is saying, here's how you can tell the difference. I exalt my word even above my own name. To whom will you liken me and make me equal? and compare me, that we may be alike. They lavish gold out of the bag, and weigh silver <clears throat> in, in the balance, and hire a goldsmith, and he makes it a god. So they go through a lot of effort to prop up their images, and to prop up their god, and to uh, make it look really spectacular. And in this day and age, you might even look at their, their places of worship, where they really knock themselves out, and make it spectacular to affect the psyche. you look at this and you're like wow this must be a great god if this is such a great building so they really knock themselves out to make this impression and hire a goldsmith and he makes it a god they fall down yeah they worship (coughs) excuse me so this this uh act of worship god is not impressed so they he says here um they bear uh, where was i so yes They knock themselves out to to back up these images and to make an effect on the on the human psyche and they make it a God They fall down. Yeah, they worship They bear him upon the shoulder. So this is what God is saying here that he will bear Israel But these people they bear their false gods So he says here They bear him Upon the shoulder They carry him. So God carries Israel. They carry their false God. So they have to do all the work. Where with Israel, Israel, in fact, Israel rebels against God. But God still acts to save them. Whereas the false gods can do nothing because they're not true gods. So the people have to bear their false God. The people have to do all the work of the false God. They bear him upon the shoulder. They carry him and set him in his place. And he stands from his place shall he not remove yet one shall cry unto him yet can he not answer nor save him out of his trouble so this is what god says think about this this is the difference between god the true god and the false gods remember this and show yourselves men bring it again to mind o you transgressors so the false gods are gonna, if they have any kind of prophecies, it's more like inst- it's self-fulfilling prophecy, it's instructions. You have to do this. You have to go out and kill and slaughter and bring this to pass. God, the true God says, I will carry you. Even though you're rebelling against me, I'm going to act to save you. And you watch and see my salvation. Big difference, big difference. So remember this and show yourselves, man, stand up to the persecution knowing that your God will save you, your God will rescue you. Bring it again to mind, O you transgressors. So God does not mince words. His people are transgressors, but he's going to wash them and make them clean. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. He's making it very clear now. I am God, there is none else. And there is none like me. And this is again, we're going to go back to Deuteronomy with this when he says here, Remember the former things of old. We go all the way back to Moses. And that's exactly what Moses said to them. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he'll show you. Your elders and they will tell you. So this is something that was written anciently. And that's what God says here. That's what he means when he says, he declares the end from the beginning. In other words, we can look into Genesis and see the seeds of Revelation What happens in Revelation is announced in Genesis. He declares the end from the beginning. The very things that the book of Genesis opens with are the very things that he concludes with in Revelation because he declares the end from the beginning. And that's why you see the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. We see the trees of life in the book of Revelation. Garden of Eden opens with a marriage ceremony. It ends with, the book of Revelation ends with a marriage ceremony. It's all the the very beginning it's declared that God is going to redeem the woman. Revelation is all about the redemption of the true woman. It's all he declares the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand. And this is the challenge. This is this is the exact challenge that God gives to the false gods. What's your plan? What's your counsel? Where is it written? Where was it declared anciently? Because that's what Yahweh does. He says his plan, his counsel, his purpose. He has a purpose specifically to do with Israel. And he says, my purpose to do with Israel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. So the nations are going to resist God. They don't like God's pleasure, because God's pleasure is to exalt Israel. God's pleasure is to be glorified in Israel, and they're going to resist it he says my counsel my plan my purpose will stand and I will do my pleasure nobody's going to resist me in Psalm 33 11 he says the counsel of the Lord stands forever so we better figure out what is the Lord's plan because it stands forever the thoughts of his heart to all generations nobody can stop this in Proverbs 19 verse 21 he says there are many devices in a man's heart nevertheless the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. When God has a plan, that's it. Nobody can reverse it. Nobody can frustrate it. God does exactly what he, plan- what he says he will do. So he, he does intervene in the affairs of mankind. And I think a lot of people don't understand that. You can't understand the world today unless you understand Isaiah, unless you understand Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Malachi, Zerich- uh, Zechariah, uh, all all these prophets, they tell us what the Lord's counsel is. And now we can look out into the world, all this migrant crisis that we see. all these, who, who's, who's, who, who, how, Where's the money coming from that all these migrants are able to move from country to country? <clears throat> We're seeing this mass migration. It, it sort of gives us a hint of what, it, what the world will look like when God gathers his elect from all the four corners of the earth and brings them to the promised land. This is a counterfeit. And this is actually the the act, the devil's work actually, to bring down the house of Israel and the house of Judah. That that when it's time for these nations to go to war, uh, you know, uh, this, this was the Assyrian tactic. This is exactly what the Assyrians would do, is they would just mix up nations so much that the nations would be demoralized and they would have no national pride and there's no way then that they would have anything to fight for or even have people to fight for them because their peoples, their populations were so tribally mixed up that they couldn't gather enough people to stand up for them. And so if there were ever, God forbid, but we know it's coming, there's no uh, there's no evidence of a sustainable peace in the world. But when World War III comes, these nations that have tribal factions within them, they will not be able to have an army that's actually going to fight for their nation they'll actually be destroyed from within that those tribes that are loyal to their home nations will fight for their home nations from within and these nations will collapse and that's what god says he's going to believe that times of the gentiles are coming so that means the israelite nations have to collapse and when the israelite nations collapse judah that is the nation of israel today will have no external support And they're surrounded by their enemies. They're surrounded by people who hate them, by people who believe that they have to be annihilated. As we saw earlier, the chief duty of every Muslim is to annihilate the Jews. And so all of this we're seeing that the world is changing. But if you don't know the counsel of God, you can't interpret what you're seeing around you. And in fact, you may end up uh, supporting the very thing that is opposing God and God's people. He says, so let's go back to Isaiah 46. He declares the end from the beginning. So we have to search this book of Isaiah to see what is it that he's declaring. He declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my purpose shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. And then he says here now in verse 46, so we come back now to Cyrus. So all of that was a buildup around the, the act that he's going to do of calling Cyrus. So this is where he says he declares the end. So the affairs of men are ordered by God. Nothing happens unless he allows it. So he says here now in verse 11 of chapter 46 that he calls a ravenous bird from the east. So that ravenous bird is King Cyrus. He calls a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executes my counsel from a far country. So his purpose is to restore Judah To Jerusalem despite the power of Babylon this very very powerful nation is irrelevant God's purpose which shall stand is for Judah to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple and as I said last week Cyrus is just a type of the Messiah so yes he's God's anointed here but he's a type and the way Isaiah writes you see that he's talking about Cyrus but he's also talking about Christ and the ultimate salvation that will come to judah so god calls a ravenous bird from the east the man that executes his purpose from a far country yes i have spoken it i will also bring it to pass i have purposed it i will also do it so this is what we have to understand about yahweh that when he speaks he means it and when he has a purpose he does it and the most powerful nations could all gather together It's irrelevant. He does what he says he will do. And so the rising of the uh, kingdom of Persia, and specifically Cyrus, was his act in order to bring down Babylon, in order to release Judah to go back to Jerusalem. Hearken unto me, you stout-hearted. So God God calls his people stout-hearted. That's the same thing that Jeremiah was grappling with. That Jeremiah says they're stubborn. Same thing that Malachi saw. <clears throat> so he says here, hearken unto me, you stout hearted that are far from righteousness. So God is not saying that these people are so wonderful, that these people are so beautiful. They're such righteous people. And that's why he's chosen them. No, he's saying he's chosen them because of Abraham, he's chosen them because of Isaac. He's chosen them because of Jacob. And so they're chosen. And so even though they're stout-hearted, they're still chosen. And God is doing all of this because they're chosen. And so he's telling them, hearken unto me, you stout-hearted that are far from righteousness. So yeah, they're far from righteousness, but that doesn't mean that they're not chosen. And Malachi says that here in, in, in chapter three, he says in verse 13, your words have been stout against me that these people are stout hearted people your words have been stout against me says the Lord yet you say what have we spoken so much against you you have said it is vain to serve God and what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts you're saying it doesn't make any sense for us to to suffer for God And God says, Malachi 3, verse 11, And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. So even though you're stout-hearted, I'm still going to act in your favor. I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed. Malachi sees the same thing that Isaiah saw. That's why Isaiah is not talking to the nations. Isaiah is talking to Israel. And he's gonna God says he's gonna gather Israel from all four corners of the earth, and all nations are going to call Israel blessed. Because they've been chosen by God. And who are we to argue with God? This is this is God's plan. This is how God will actually save the nations. But he wants to have this kingdom of priests. And that's why when Christ was buried. And then was resurrected, went to heaven, and then he came back to earth. And he he was with his disciples for 40 days instructing them. But when he was instructing them in Acts 1, Peter asked Christ, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Christ said, what a crazy idea. I I never taught you any such thing. He didn't say that. He said, no, it's not for you to know the time. But all nations will call Israel blessed that the kingdom is the kingdom of Israel and Israel will be restored and all nations shall call you blessed for you shall be a delightsome land says the Lord of hosts all the prophets are saying the same thing and this is why if you love Muslims you need to bring them the truth of the Bible because their text who they say Muhammad is in all these all these prophets teach the same thing Uh, Muhammad actually teaches the exact opposite of what the prophets teach. Muhammad teaches his followers that they must slaughter the house of Judah. They must slaughter the house of Judah and completely eliminate them in order to bring about the end. It's the exact opposite of what the prophets teach. Isaiah 46 verse 13. I bring near my righteousness. It shall not be far off and my salvation shall not tarry. I will place salvation in Zion. Oh, I thought, I will place salvation all over the world. I, 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 salvation is all over the world. No. This is what the text says. Let's read it carefully. Let's read it together. I will place salvation in Zion. That's where salvation will be. And all the nations will have to come to Zion for salvation. I will place salvation in Zion for Israel my glory Israel is God's glory so he's going to be glorified in Israel and that's where salvation will be and all the nations will come to Zion and that will glorify Israel which will glorify God and let's see that in Zechariah he says and so I believe that's the the last verse of uh, 46 but here let's just reinforce what uh, god said to isaiah by looking at zechariah here in zechariah he says thus says the lord of hosts there shall yet old men and old women dwell in the streets of jerusalem that is mind-blowing that is mind-blowing how can that be when we understand the hatred that is going to be levied against this people that this is just um, this is an amazing prophecy that there will yet be old men and old women dwelling in the streets of Jerusalem
1: al yahud gaddarun khada'un <laughs> garrarun makarun qala allahu azza anhum aw kullama aahadu 'ahdan nabadhahu Farikum minhum bal aktharuhum la yu'minun hum ra'su al irhab كلما أوقدوا نارا للحرب أطفاها الله ويسعون في الأرض فسادا والله لا يحب المفسدين هم أشد الناس عداوة لديننا لو تركت الأفاعي سمها والعقارب لدغها ما ترك اليهود عداءهم لأهل الإيمان لتجدن أشد الناس عداوة للذين آمنوا اليهود والذين أشركوا
0: so there is real enmity out
1: there towards, uh, towards <clears throat> real enmity,
0: and the scriptures tell us Jerusalem is going to be surrounded by armies, and Zechariah 14 tells us that Jerusalem is going to be ravished, it's, it's going to be just, it's going to wholesale slaughter. God says that those who dwell in Judea at this time run for your life. But Zechariah also tells us that God is going to act and He's going to save, Zechariah 12. But here in Zechariah 8, despite all the slaughter that is going to the desolation that's going to be upon this people, Zechariah looks into the future and he says, There shall yet old men and old women dwell in the streets of Jerusalem. So the focal point of the earth is Jerusalem. And we can't understand what is going on in the... You can't understand the migration crisis, the migration movement, the the UN Global Compact for safe, orderly, and regular migration. You can't understand this unless we understand that this is all about Jerusalem. And how do we get all the nations to hate Jerusalem unless we weed out the value system Of the Western nations, the Judeo-Christian nations, how do we read out their, dilute their value system, replace their value system, so that all the nations can agree together that Jerusalem, the people of uh, the Jews in Jerusalem, must be rooted out, and yet Zechariah says there shall yet be old men and old women dwelling in the streets of Jerusalem, and every man with his staff in his hand for very age. In other words, they're totally safe, no risk of terrorism. No risk of assassination, no risk of murder, no risk of harm. They'll just be able to grow old. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls. This is, this is what Isaiah sees, that the streets of the city are going to be full of boys and girls. There's going to be such joy in the, in the streets. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls, playing in the streets thereof again totally safe they'll just be able to play children old people walking no full full safety of god's people thus says the lord of hosts if it be marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of this people in these days should it also be marvelous in my eyes says the lord and it shall come to pass that as you were a curse among the gentiles among the heathen among the the goyim the nations o house of Judah. And house of Israel, not just the house of Judah. God's going to restore the house of Israel as well. As you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. All the prophets are seeing the same thing. He goes on to say, for thus says the Lord. So the same way that Isaiah keeps saying, "Fear, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Zechariah is saying the same thing. Malachi is saying the same thing. Jeremiah was saying the same thing. Don't be afraid, for thus says the Lord of hosts, As I thought to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says the Lord of hosts, and I repented not, so again have I thought in these days to do well unto Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Do not fear. Now, the, the, the whole conflict with Jerusalem, Let's just look here at this um, uh, text or, or um, submission, article in, in uh, again, this is in uh, Wikipedia. Uh, actually, no, this is, um, let's see what this, the source of this is Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs. So Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs, who are the Palestinians? So who are the Palestinians that are forcing their way in to? Um, who, who are the Palestinians that are forcing their way in to Jerusalem? Here, this article says, yet again, Palestinian leaders are claiming that the Palestinians are descended from the Canaanite people who lived in the land of Canaan or Canaan before the israelite tribes settled in it so their claim to jerusalem their claim to judah is saying we were here first we are descendants of the palestinians say we are descendants of the canaanite people and they lived in israel before the 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 jews moved in there no less than the chairman of the palestinian authority mahmoud abbas made that claim in germany no one was taken aback By his remarks or questioned him so why is this significant it's again it's significant because we have to ask ourselves what is the lord's counsel and what is god doing and so here uh, um, in zechariah we just read that judah must not be afraid why because in the end time there's going to be such conflict leveled against these people about the land And so let's be clear, if they're gonna say that they are descendants of Canaan, well, that's very interesting. Here in Exodus 3 verse 17, God says, declaring the the things anciently, and I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites. Oh, you're saying you're descended from the Canaanites. God says he's bringing the house of Israel and the Israelites uh, from Egypt unto the land of Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. So he's giving them the land of Canaan. Verse Chapter 33, verse 2, And I will send an angel before you, and I, God, will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Chapter 34, verse 11, Observe you that which I command you this day. Behold, I drive out before you the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Joshua 3 10. And Joshua said, Hereby you shall know that the Living God is among you, and that He will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Joshua 15:63. As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, these are descendants of Canaan, the children of Judah could not drive them out because they disobeyed God. Instead of doing what God says, they they, they were unfaithful. And so they could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem unto this day. So if you want to claim that you are descendants of the Canaanites and that the land is yours, The only reason you're there is because the the house of Judah, the children of Judah, were disobedient. And God was not with them, so they couldn't drive out. And so the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem as of this day. So uh, let me just fix a reference here. So clearly, uh, claiming that you're a Canaanite or descended descendant from Canaanites, um, and that's why you want to be in the land, uh, not a good idea. That's actually going against Yahweh, the God of the Bible. And here in Judges 121, he says, and the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem unto this day. And in chapter three of Judges, and the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites. Hittites and Amorites and Perizzites and Hivites and Jebusites so they were supposed to drive those people out of the land but because they were unfaithful they didn't do that and so uh, God is clear though I'm gonna finish here on this uh, Zechariah 14 we've read it before I'll just read it again Zechariah 14 verse 21 yes every pot in Jerusalem when when God finally acts and brings salvation he says every pot in Jerusalem And in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. It's going to be spectacular. Everything is going to be upgraded of the highest standard. Uh, It's it's going to be a spectacular city when God comes. And he says, Every pot shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. And all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them. So everyone's going to come and and take of them and see therein. So there's going to be uh, these meals that are made and everything's going to be holy. And in that day, when God comes, there shall be no more the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. So, so God is very, very clear. He has given this land. He's taken it away from Canaan. And we have to go back to Genesis to understand why. But he's taken it away from Canaan and he's given it to his people. And so to say, I'm a Canaanite and this is my land, uh, be careful. Because the only way you can be in this land when God comes is if you repent and you're grafted into Israel. Because God is saying, no way. Palestinians, Canaanites, Jebusites, Perizzites, Hivites, Hittites, Amorites, none of them will be in Jerusalem when Jesus Christ returns. Only the house of Israel and the house of Judah and those that are grafted in. So God is saying to Judah and, and to Israel, fear not, look to me, hearken unto me. Look at the text, study the text, see see what I've declared, because everything that I've said, I'm bringing my purpose to pass. And so we as Christians, we need to study this text, understand our role in all of this, be able to look out on the world scene and see that God is bringing his purpose to pass. Uh, Isaiah calls it his strange act. Uh, um, Habakkuk calls it His unbelievable, uh, his unbelievable work, a work that we won't believe. Uh, Jesus himself says it's going to be a short work, but it's his work. And so let's understand this. Let's declare it. What a mighty God we serve. Praise him. Jesus Christ.